The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled uh, to probably reintroduce you to Seth Godin. Many of you have read his books. Many of you have heard and listened to the original episode when Seth came on the show and probably other podcasts as well. Uh, Seth, thank you for being here. What a treat. I'm headed up to Canada in just a few days, so there's a good warm-up. Wonderful. Will you be uh, canoeing and on the lake there? Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Driving up to Algonquin Park. Amazing. Amazing. So your latest book, The Song of Significance. Tell us about this. Well, you know, people who call themselves marketers aren't really sure what we do for a living. Do we hype and hustle? Do we interrupt people? Do we actually run the whole place because everything that gets touches the market is marketing? Uh, are we cogs in a system that pushes us to race to the bottom or are we seeking to make a difference? Mm -hmm. And having narrated the shifts in marketing for 30 years, I felt an urgent need to draw a line in the sand and be able to say to people, whether you're a marketer or not, our work is to make a difference. And when we make a difference, we are doing something significant. Mm -hmm. And we can no longer blame the attention economy or Milton Friedman or the race to the bottom for our willingness to surrender our sovereignty. Mm. And so this is basically a rant to help people have a conversation about doing work that matters with people who care. Amazing. You mentioned the word, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to say it right, kokoro, right? Japanese word meaning, and again, tell me the mind, heart, and soul. Tell us about that word and what it means to you, especially in this book. Well, sometimes there's, you know, words in translation that we don't have a word for. Yeah. And kokoro is one of them. Okay. It's an ideogram originally from the Chinese in okay. Japanese, and it's a picture of a house with a heart in the center. Okay. And I think what it tells us is that there is a feeling, an emotion that we often don't bring to work, that we don't even have a name for, which isn't authenticity, but it involves showing up with our full heart to find meaning. Mm. And when you ask people, what's the best job you ever had? They always have an answer because we yearn for that. And I think we can get that at the very same time. We improve productivity and profits and all the other stuff, but we have lost our way. Mm. And you mentioned that as a fork in the road, right? We have two choices, you know, being on teams and being leaders in this. Tell us what that means, the, the manifesto for teams and, and what we should be aware of. Okay, so the race to the bottom says, how do I make this 
dumber, more convenient, mm-hmm. cheaper, uh, and less. And we see that all around us. Uh, we feel pressure to do that, to fit in all the way. And the alternative is to race to the top and to say you'll pay a little bit more, but you'll get more than you pay for. You'll say, uh, I'm going to build something that's worth talking about. I'm going to try to be the entity, the person that would be missed if they were gone. Mm. And that is anathema to industrialism. Industrialism wants to treat humans as a resource, not as people. And it wants everything to be a replaceable cog. Mm. And so the fork in the road feels really clear to me. And, you know, all those years ago when I wrote Purple Cow, there's a riff in it about Highway 11 in uh, Ontario and about all the rundown, not very busy or perhaps out of business, muffin shops, hamburger places, propane dispensaries. Because the driver knows that five kilometers down the road, there's going to be another one. So just wait for the cheap one or the easier one. But then you get to Weber's. And Weber's is such a popular place. They had to build a bridge across the highway because people were risking their lives to buy themselves a burger. What is Weber's doing that caused that to happen? What they're doing is they chose not to do what everybody else was doing. Hmm. Wow. So when we look at, at, at you know the book and we look at this opportunity, you say to look to bees for inspiration. Tell us about how bees gave you this kind of... Uh, I don't know. Well, I think it's it's not an overstatement to say that the bees changed my life. Okay. Uh, I was at an event in October last year uh, doing it in conjunction with somebody else who I'd never met. Turns out he's a beekeeper. And he told me about something called the Song of Increase. Hmm. And I thought that was something all beekeepers knew about. Turns out it's not. It's a book by Jacqueline Freeman, who's a feral beekeeper. She raises wild bees. And what happens at the end of a long winter, particularly up north, is the hive is pretty run down. There's almost no honey left. The bees are a little ragged. But if there's enough energy, the maidens, the council of maidens that sort of lead the hive, will send a signal. And within two weeks, so much pollen will be collected that the honey will all be replaced. And while that's going on, the queen bee will lay and fertilize a queen egg, which is very rare. And then something extraordinary happens. Usually in June, uh, in less than 10 minutes, more than 10,000 bees will leave the hive all at once, singing the song of increase, leaping into the void, leaving behind all the honey, all the baby pips, the baby queen. They'll just leave, and they will never return. And that leap is something that we can look at and say, that's thrilling. But then what happens thanks to evolution, is the bees end up in a tree 100 meters away in a tight ball because they have to maintain a body temperature of the same as ours. And they only have three days to find a new place to live or they all die. If there's a thunderstorm, they all die. And so they're singing the song of safety. They're hunkering down. They're sheltering in place. And when I heard these two stories, I realized we're not bees, but along the way, with the pandemic and so much trauma in the world, we started singing the song of safety. Hmm. And the song of safety is fine for a little while, mm-hmm. but what humans yearn for is the song of significance. Wow. wow. And when we look at it now in our workplaces, you know, in remote workplaces, how, what are the things that people can be doing to bring this? 
you know, leaders and workers, you know, bosses and workers, what are the two commitments they each need to make for this to happen? Okay, so remote is an interesting word. I, yeah. I think I like distributed better yes. because okay, there is no center. The management and bosses is another interesting couple yeah. of words yeah. that aren't the same as leaders. Yeah. We need managers. You mm. need people to show up for their shift at Tim Hortons at 6 a.m. or else Tim Hortons doesn't open. Mm-hmm. We need people to run the airlines or else no flight would leave on time and it wouldn't be safe if the pilots were making stuff up as they went along. Management is critical, but we should be very clear that what managers do is use power and authority to get what they got yesterday, but cheaper, faster. Most marketers aren't managers and aren't managed. Most marketers need to be leaders. Mm -hmm. Leaders are exploring the future, the liminal space between here and there. Leaders are showing up to make something happen and they can't be sure it's going to work which means leadership is voluntary. You can choose to lead. You can choose to follow. Not the same as a manager that orders people what to do. So when we think about distributed work, there's a whole bunch of commitments we can make to each other. And some of them are super simple. I promise not to call a Zoom meeting where I ramble on for half an hour because I was too lazy to write a five-minute memo or edit a video that you can watch in four minutes. And in return, you promise that if you show up for one of my good meetings, you will be fully present and we will have a conversation, Mm. not a lecture. Mm. That we agree that what things are like around here is that we will relentlessly raise the standards, Mm. but we will never criticize the worker, only Mm. the work. Mm. We agree that surveillance doesn't make any sense in what we do for a living, knowing how many keystrokes you typed yesterday doesn't tell me if you're good at coding. And so if we can make these agreements with each other, they're not about let's all take four days off and blah, blah, blah. It's about how do we build something together that we're proud of. And and ideally work together to have that song of significance. Well, if we are enrolled in the journey, a whole bunch of things take care of themselves. You don't have to bully people Mm-hmm. to do art, to do the work they want to do. They yeah. say, how can I do more? And what we did, because industrialism worked so well, is we got hooked on the other stuff. And it's not working so well. So let's stop doing that. Hmm. So readers of this book, is there like examples of manifestos that people could almost take into their workplaces and kind of put up on the wall or kind of agreements between you know, staff within a company? So what I did was I made 50,000 of these uh, booklets. So anybody who buys five copies of the book from Porchlight gets 25 of these in the mail. Okay. And the idea of them was that you could hand them out like candy and you could have a conversation about the ideas that are in there. I don't mind writing slogans and manifestos and the rest of it because I think it helps people see what is possible. Mm-hmm. But I also don't believe in scripts. Because as soon as you start reading a script, you're phoning it in. Yeah. You're saying, well, this is what somebody else told me to do. Hmm. So the commitments, and we got a minute, so I'll just read a few of them. Yeah. We're here to make change happen. We're acting with intention. Hmm. Dignity is worth investing in. Mistakes are the way forward. Tension is not the same as stress. Show your work. Do the reading. Hmm. And there's another eight or so of those. But... These are missing from so many places because mm-hmm. so many places say obedience is what we do around here. Mm-hmm. If I tell you what to do, 
please do that. And that top-down structure is very important at a water purification facility. Yeah. But it is not relevant in any marketing institution I've ever visited. So how, like it, it just to throw it out there, you, you, the books you've done, you know, I've got the practice here and, and so many others. How did you go towards, it, again, I'm going to say like an HR style book almost, right? Like, like, and will this book end up in the HR section of Indigo chapters across Canada here? Well, first, I hope it ends up in the H section because HR yeah. uh, means that humans are a resource. Yes. And if humans are a resource, we're treating them like a machine. This is a book for humans. Yes. And um, I came to write it because I saw billionaires firing disabled people online for kicks. I saw people uh, quitting in droves. I saw enormous amounts of dissatisfaction about what we encounter. Mm -hmm. And I realized at some level it's a marketing problem. The story we tell ourselves Mm -hmm. and the story we tell other people. Hmm. And I don't have the answer, but I have a whole bunch of questions. There's more than 150 questions in the book. I just want people to talk about it. Yeah. If you talk about it and decide, no, what we need is more obedience, more obedience in our school, more obedience at work, at least you talked about it. Yeah. It's just, I have so many stories and examples. And we also, also know in our soul that great work is not done via obedience. Hmm. That's really cool. And, and as far as like businesses, have you heard people putting into practice or have you heard any stories of people reading this and making changes or people that are doing this and leading by example. So in the, in the book, I tell the story of Ray Anderson and interface carpet. Now the carpet industry is one of the filthiest industries in the world and you don't realize it, but basically they're running a coal facility and they use a lot of power and they make a lot of uh, garbage that Hmm. can't be disposed of. And Ray built a company that made carpet tiles, which meant that an industrial, you know, an office building would need to replace all their carpet if something got stained. They could just Mm. replace a few. And Interface was doing okay, pretty well in the late 70s. And he read a book by Paul Hawken about the end of our climate. Mm. And he realized he had blood on his hands and he didn't want that. But he also knew that some of his customers were asking about their side effects and he didn't like losing a sale he was very competitive Mm -hmm. so ray calls a meeting of his top 12 people now remember this is the carpet business it's hard to imagine a business that's more obedience driven and by the book than a factory that makes carpet and he calls together his top dozen people and he says i wrote on this piece of paper we will be carbon neutral by blank and he said i want you to fill in the blank And I want you to tell me what I can do to support you. And he left the room. And over the next eight to 10 years, this team figured out how to build the first sustainable carpet company in the world. And now they're actually carbon negative. They put more back into the ground than they use. Here's the reason for the story. Not that their profits went up. They did. Not that their stock price went up. It did. But in addition to those things, if you talk to those people, and you, there's a documentary, which is where I got all my information, mm-hmm. they will all say it's the best job they ever had. Hmm. Because they did something they didn't think they could do. Because they did something that mattered. They thought they were going to work at a carpet company, but what they actually ended up doing was making a difference. And if a carpet company can do this, 
what can a Canadian tire do, yeah. right? What can a Stelco steel do? That what we have is the chance to do work that matters and not snooze because mm. life's too short for snoozing. It's amazing. And I'm sure there's lots of great examples of B Corps and Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's that are ideally leading the charge in that, but hopefully also treating their staff well and the humans within that. Well, so I want to talk about the standards thing again. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I definitely got the pun about the B Corps. Um, if you buy Ben and Jerry's brownie ice cream, yeah. most people do. It's the number one flavor, I think. The brownies were made three miles from where I am sitting right now. Wow. All of the brownies. That's cool. Are made in a small bakery in Yonkers, New York called Grayston. Grayston was founded by Bernie Glassman. And it's a spiritual institution as well as a community institution. And they started a bakery as a fundraiser. But then they discovered something powerful, which is they pioneered open hiring. There's a clipboard at the front desk of the Grayston Bakery. And if you walk in there, you can put your name and phone number on the list. And if someone leaves and they need to hire somebody to work in the bakery, the next person on the list gets the job. Wow. Doesn't matter if you're previously incarcerated. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you used to have a drug problem. The next person on the list gets the job. Then there's three weeks of intensive training. If you can't cut it, you have to leave. Mm -hmm. Standards are high. But if you can cut it, it doesn't matter who you used to be. It's who are you seeking to become. Wow. The, the turnover at Grayston is vanishingly low. So they have shifted to spreading the idea of open hiring far and wide. So at Body Shop, the cosmetics uh, retail chain, yeah. they were having a lot of trouble with hiring and turnover during COVID. So they switched to open hiring. And what they found very quickly is that turnover went down 60%. And productivity went up 17%. Wow. So the question is this. Why doesn't every organization that has low-skilled jobs use open hiring? And the answer is because managers like to be in control. Managers like to think that they have some sort of instinct. Managers use false proxies mm -hmm. to surveil and measure. That when we interview somebody for a job, all we're finding out is if they're good at interviewing. And unless you have a talk show, you know, like George, you can't hire people to be interviewed because they're never going to be interviewed again. Yeah. And so I tell the story of open hiring as a way of highlighting for people just how deeply ingrained our obedience mindset is. Wow. Um, going back to your book, page 19 thinking. Tell us about this. Tell us what this means. So I spent over a year of my life as a full-time volunteer organizing the Carbon Almanac. I didn't write it. 300 other people worked with me in 40 countries. And in five months, we wrote, edited, designed, laid out, fact-checked, footnoted, uh, and delivered a 99,000-word almanac with not one significant error. It won design awards. It's been translated into languages around the world. And when we got started, we realized the almanac had to have a page 19. Also a page 27 and a page 54, but at page 19. But not one person on the team was authorized or qualified to do all of the jobs on page 19. Wow. So how are we going to get to page 19? Hmm. Well, the answer is write one sentence, hand it to the team and say, can you make this better? Hmm. Find one graph, find one data source, hand it to the team. Can we make this better? Page 19 thinking is the story we tell ourselves of 
no organization, no project has ever been successfully built from scratch by one person. That it evolves over time because someone said, make this better. Which means that criticism isn't the enemy. Criticism isn't personal. Criticism is the point. Because what we're saying to people is, that's great. Here's how it could be better. And if we can agree on our standards, then you're going to agree that, yeah, that makes it better. And if we couldn't agree, then it didn't make it better. And we left it the way it was. And when you're in like the the slog of it all, the day-to-day of it, and you've been working at it for a year, how did you keep inspired? How did you keep the, you know, the drumbeat going, the buzz of that song of significance when you were all distributed and so many people working on one project? We had an unfair advantage because we were all volunteers. Okay. Which meant I couldn't tell anybody what to do if they didn't want to do it. Yeah. It meant that my job was not to, to get the work done or do the work. My job was to create the conditions mm-hmm. where people would want to do what needed to be done. Hmm. And creating the conditions, the, sh- the simple, easy, stupid shortcut is, I'll pay you. Hmm. And if you do a bad job, I'll fire you. Hmm. That's a real blunt force instrument. Yeah. And most people, you know, you and I both know people who have enough money, they don't have to work again. Hmm. But they went to work today. Why did they do that? Were they worried about getting fired? Hmm. I don't think so. They went to work today because they wanted to. And they did important work because they could. And we can do that for many, many jobs. Not all jobs, but for many jobs. So if there's someone listening to the show right now, they're in marketing, right? And VP, whatever position they're in, they maybe work agency side or brand side. And they're saying, hey, I'm not seeing this at my own shop or where I'm at now. And they want to go somewhere else where they could find this vibe or they could find this kind of um, culture, what are the kind of pieces to look for? What are things that, you know, are signs that they have significance in that company? Okay, so the first thing I'm going to say is yeah. all roads lead back to the Wizard of Oz. Yes, yes. Is you've had the ruby slippers all along. You probably don't need to leave. You probably need to start taking responsibility to find the smallest unit of significance you can contribute and then doing it again. Mm. Giving away credit, taking responsibility, and then doing it again. No, you can't fix the whole place. But the place will never be fixed from the top down. Mm. What you will be able to fix is, what are things like around here? Mm. Can you start a book club that meets once a week? Can you engage with the receptionist in a way that changes their day? Can you answer customer service calls for 20 minutes once a week so that you finally understand what your customers don't understand that you think they do. All of these things will not get you fired. But you're not doing them because you've been seduced and brainwashed and indoctrinated by the compliance mindset. And once you start shifting the posture, you may discover things are different around here than you thought they were. That's really cool. Um, That's great advice. Now, for you personally, I'm curious about reading and, and what you're reading these days. You know, I'm sure you're not reading your own books, but what, what books are you finding quite inspiring and, and helpful these days? So the confession is I listen to my own books all the time. Nice. Like, like audio stuff. On, on Audible. Yeah. I pay for them because yeah. I, don't, I don't get them for free. Um, and the reason is I like hearing from that other person who wrote them all those years ago Okay, to remind me of 
a better version of me. And I encourage anyone to do that, not to listen to my stuff. You're welcome to, but to make your own stuff. On When you're in a really good space, record something for half an hour about what you see and why you see it and where you're going. Mm. And when you're not in a good space, play it back mm. and listen to that version of yourself. Mm. Um, I have a library of things that I come back to again and again. Mm. The War of Art, uh, The Art of Possibility, uh, Zig Ziglar's books, uh, books by Patti Smith about humanity. Uh, it, it's a very, it's not a secret. I've posted what some of them are, but yeah. they're all around. Yeah. They're, nobody who's stuck is stuck because they can't find a book. Yeah. They're stuck because they've been conditioned to be stuck, mm. because it's safer to stay stuck than it is to ignore sunk costs, forgive the former you, yeah. and realize there are things you are afraid of, things that will not make you comfortable, that you, if you went through them, could get you to whatever the other side is. And we have so many more choices than people think. And yeah, the media, profit-driven, uh, disaster-causing media, makes a lot of people feel pessimistic. It mm. makes a lot of people feel smaller. But there's nothing keeping you from turning it off. And turning it off for five days, doing morning pages, finding eight podcasts, like my friend Brian Koppelman's podcast, like this podcast, and listening to them, you can rewire your attitude mm -hmm. because your attitude isn't being caused by where you work. It might be made better or worse, but that's not the cause. It's the way we talk to ourselves. Mm. It's marketing. It's what story do we tell ourselves that sells stuff. I'd say if and if you haven't picked up the practice yet and you're feeling stuck, I think this is one of the best. Um, I described it as someone as like the tow truck for creativity. If you are feeling stuck somewhere, it pulls you out. And it's nice because it's done in like little bite size portions. Like, uh, you know, you could binge read the whole thing or you could kind of watch episode by episode or read episode by episode and experience, um, you know, different sections. So. Um, that's I, very kind of you thank you it's written in little pieces because that's how my brain works yeah it, it does remind me of like i feel like you know netflix puts out like 30 episodes of a show all of a sudden i feel like i i i've met people who binge read it <laughs> right and then i read it they're like i did like a bunch of see you know episodes and then i sure. read a couple more and then i sat on one like like you know i've and i you know would have wrote insert ones like 142 or you know 54 and it kind of reread it again almost like slightly like a little devotional if, if you want to look at it that way that's great. No, Thank you. Was, you made my day. No, it was it was very cool. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, speaking of podcasts, tell us about your own podcast and where that's at and, and kind of what you've been doing with your own show. So I did my first podcast 12 years ago. Yeah. It was the number one business podcast for a few years only because there weren't any business podcasts. I did 14 episodes in two days. And that's all there were. It was a live thing I did. Yeah. Um, and I had ideas for a different kind of podcast, but I was always like, well, I have the idea, so I'm done. I don't need to ship it. And 
someone came and said, if you're going to do a podcast, this is the moment. So I did one. Um, and the biggest thing that will surprise people is I've never had a guest. 250 episodes of me examining something in the world, like the, hit, the first encyclopedia, mm-hmm. all the way to the present day in 23 minutes. How do we think about that, right? And um, when I got to 250, mm-hmm. I was, you know, like many people limping along because of COVID. And I thought, well, let's take a break for a while. And that's five years worth of weekly episodes. People can start over at the beginning. Yeah. And so that's the cycle it's in now. Uh, I had an episode now and then. But, you know, the finding which medium fits what you want to say. Is it a blog post? Is it a book? Is it a podcast? Should it be a podcast I do with Darian? All of these things are choices. And basically, I decided this body of work, 250 episodes, that's a volume. And I don't usually wake up in the morning thinking, what should be the next podcast? Yeah. And, and what do you think about what it was kind of, how are you spending your days these days? Is it the next book or is it the next project or what's, what's going on in Seth's life? Well, for a long time when I was a struggling book packager, every morning I woke up thinking I better come up with a book idea today or I'm not going to eat. And over the last 10 years that has faded away to zero because it's so hard to bring a book to the public now. There's so many other ways to spread an idea that it has to be a very special, insistent thing to commit to a book, right? And um, so, no, I'm not thinking about any new books at all. And uh, I write, I paddle my canoe, and I'm thinking a lot about what else should we use this now mature medium of the web for, for connection, for entertainment, for inspiration, I'm not sure what that's going to be, mm-hmm. but a five-year project is a big commitment, yeah. so I'm still noodling around on it. Right. And education. Tell us about that. And you know, you're big on educating others and providing them, you know, Alt-MBA. Tell us about that project. So education and learning are different, Yeah. just like management and leadership are different. I wrote a book. It's free at StopStealingDreams.com. There's a, a TED Talk to go with it, also free at the same website. And that's all about how school is broken. And it's been downloaded four million times, and I hope that people will download it and share it and talk about it. When I saw what the internet could do for learning, but then I saw what people like Masterclass were doing, which was classes that weren't focused on learning, I thought I could model that. Hmm. So first I launched the Alt-MBA, which I don't run anymore, and then branched into a Kimbo, named after my podcast, which I don't run anymore. Um, and we ended up with more than 50,000 students. Yeah. Uh, the Alt-MBA has graduated more people than Harvard Business School has wow. since we launched it. Oh. Um, and it's a B Corp now. Yeah. But the magic of it is we established a foundation for two things. One, for our students to look at the world differently because they actually learned something. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me with a bunch of videos. And B, for other people to copy. Mm-hmm. The same way when I invented email marketing, it was yeah. a zero billion dollar industry. Now it's a fifty billion dollar industry, but I don't want any of it. And I don't get a commission. It's fine. Because if you can open doors, then people can figure out what to do with it. Wow. That's amazing. That's really cool. And in Masterclass, was that the original inspiration for all that? I wouldn't say inspiration. Yeah. I saw lots of mass, you know, the the 
first breakthrough massive online course was yeah. about artificial intelligence. Okay. And 99,000 people took it in the first year. Wow. But then I read that 1,000 people finished it. <laughs> That's quite a difference. And so what does that mean? Yeah. It means people were coming to look at videos, sit back, and watch. Yeah. But when, when learning gets hard, mm -hmm. we quit. Yeah. So there are only two ways to get through the hard part. One is if you've got certification and accreditation and a diploma, you get through it because the prize at the other end is worth something. And the other way to do it is that you are in a peer group and the peer group builds a bridge for you and you build a bridge for them. You don't want to let them down. You're on this journey together. And so, you know, if a canoe trip is going to go from Canoe Lake all the way to Ottawa, mm -hmm. there's nobody on that trip who could make it the whole way mm -hmm. on their own. But when there's three people in the boat, you're just going to keep paddling because yeah. the other two people are paddling. And that's how it gets done. Yeah. And so what I wanted to help people see is that online learning is community cohort based. It is not lecture based. Hmm. And in those communities, what does that look like? Is it like Facebook groups or Slack channels or just they're, they're meeting together on Zoom to you know, support so each the technologies, other? Technologies, I, I invented a few different technologies yeah. and all of them work, but in different ways. So the Alt-MBA is not inexpensive. It's, you know, $6,000 or something. And you have to apply to get in. And there's only 100 people in your cohort, and you are rotated through small groups. I don't remember, eight at a time. Yeah. So you're going to meet everybody in the group. And then there are projects, 13 projects over the course of 30 days. Wow. And you're going to have to show everyone else in the group the work you did on your project. Huh. So it's constantly shipping work, constantly connecting with other people in any form you want. But Tuesday at noon, you're going to show everyone what you built. Not because you can get an A, because everyone gets an A. No one gets an A. Don't ask, will this be on the test? Because there are no tests. So that rigor leads people to sprint and accomplish more than they ever thought they could. And that is one of the biggest lessons of the Alt-MBA. I mean, I could write down on five pieces of paper what you actually learn, but that's not why you should do it. You should do it because you tell yourself a different story when you're done. Wow. And I think it's up to 50 countries worth of alumni now. And there are people all over the world who I bump into when I'm out and about who are Alt-MBA 17 or Alt-MBA 26 because it sticks with you. But then the Akimbo thing was there's a whole bunch of people who aren't willing to work that hard or pay that much money to go down this path at first. And there were people who wanted to see me on a video. Yeah. So what I did was, for the marketing seminar, recorded 60 videos, each wow. five minutes long. Each one sets you up yeah. to be able to do the prompt. And so I rant about something, and I say, now here's the prompt. Here's the yeah. little case study. Yeah. You must do your own work. You're welcome to start a study group with other people. Yeah. Post it and then respond to other people's work. Because oh, when we give other people feedback on what they did and we just did, mm -hmm. we both get better. Yeah. And so what we're talking about is a group of 300 people might create 40,000 posts inside the discourse that we would build in a short period of time. Because that idea that we're sitting in the lunchroom together, I saw what you did, you saw what I did, now we can do it better. 
and it created businesses and lifelong friendships and everything else. So it's an extraordinary thing. It's for me, as someone who's taught at New York University mm-hmm. and Pace and Mercy College, I've never seen learning work the way it works in that format if you build it properly. Wow. That's incredible. And, and hopefully, other, like you're saying, other schools can copy it and yeah. borrow. Yeah. I mean, so we, you know, we've got folks like Maven and Disco um, all doing interesting things differently, yeah. but along the same lines. And those kind of connections, and we've got tools like Discord groups and so many tools now to. Well, I have to interrupt you. Yeah. I hate Discord. Okay. I think Discord gives me a headache. I know Discord gives me a headache. Okay. I always use Discourse, which is a thoughtful, nuanced, self paced discussion board. Okay. It is not a free form chat fest. So I just wanted to highlight that those are two different things. Okay. So, Discourse. Okay. I need to check that out. I, I know about Discord. I've been invited to Discords. And yeah, yeah, I'm in one now for, uh, yeah, we have Dreamlight Valley. It's this game on the Switch. And so, but yeah, it is very fast and nonstop. It's like a, what do you call it? A fire hydrant of, yeah. yes. And Discord's just the way it's structured is different, more. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a threaded, thoughtful, non anonymous discussion board, okay. open source. Yeah. And I'm on it. In one form or another, just about every day. Wow. Okay. And probably a good alternative. To, you know, I know people have tried it on Reddit or tried Slack or tried Facebook groups, but all those kind of have their pros and cons. Yeah. Well, they all have a business model that isn't your business model. Yes. Okay. And the magic of open source is when things can be improved, they are. Yeah. And the magic of a white label piece of software that's on your server is there are no ads. There is no thing to drive people to do something they don't want to do. You can make it what it needs to be. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Um, speaking, traveling, are you d- doing any more of that these days? or is you? I, I haven't been on an airplane for work in two and a half years. Yes. And I have no plans to do it again. Nice. Uh, a thousand speeches yep. is my, my quota and I exceeded it. Yes. Okay. Uh, but I love what is possible in the medium you and I are talking on right now. Yeah. So... I'm building uh, community-type workshops that run in Zoom that are personal and engaging that aren't a meeting. Yes. And um, I often show up and do, you know, virtual keynotes. I don't get the same ego satisfaction as one gets parading around the stage. Yeah. But it's a small price to pay for me to be able to stay healthy and sane. Yeah. And you miss out on all your green room snacks, like your... M&M's, right? You're, you're, you always need purple M&M's, right? I think, is that what's in your rider? Purple M&M's and 22 Celsius water. Right? Do, you know the sto- do you know the story of the M&M's? you know why that's a meme? No, no, I don't. Okay, so in the 70s, there were bands in addition to the Grateful Dead that had big stadium shows. Okay. And I might get the group wrong, yeah. but it was a group like Van Halen. Yeah. And they had more than 100,000 pounds of equipment. And the promoters needed to like fly the lights above and yeah. the cables and everything else. People's lives are at stake yeah. when you're using that kind of equipment. And they had a very long rider that explained exactly what the promoter had to do with all of their equipment. And one of the paragraphs in the rider says, there must be two pounds of M&Ms in the green room, but no brown ones. And if they got to the green room, and there were brown M&Ms. They knew that the promoter hadn't read the rider. Oh, I didn't know. That's 
That's and it crazy. was a signal, a canary in the coal yeah. mine, that then either they had to walk out or everything had to be checked wow. because that's where the M&M thing came from. That's brilliant. Yeah, I had a grade five teacher all hand us sheets of paper that had like 30 questions for a quiz. And the, yeah, the 30th question was, turn the paper over, don't answer any of the questions, right? It's the classic. Because question yeah. one was, before you begin, read every question. Right. Yeah. I got busted by that so bad. Yeah. I Because question number 24 was, stand up and say your name. Okay. And, okay. Right. So I'm racing through this. It's fact because I'm like, I'm always, in, and I'm nine years old and I stand yeah. up and I say my name and I look around and I, everyone's just laughing at me. That busted. Is that is great. Um, so that, I want to know this question. What's the last thing you changed your mind about and why? I change my mind about trivial things as often as I can. Yeah. Um, the substantial thing is when I started working on the Climate Almanac, I was sort of optimistic about our prospects. Mm -hmm. Four weeks into it, me and 200 other people had our hearts broken when we saw the reality of what we were dealing with mm -hmm. and how much we have seduced ourselves yeah. into uh, this self-destructive behavior. And I completely changed my mind. And it took, it, like I pulled several muscles, I changed my mind so bad. Mm -hmm. But we pushed through the almanac because it made us feel alive to feel like we were doing something. Mm. And then toward the end of that process, I changed my mind again and found new sources of optimism, not just in technology, but in new generations of people, in cultural change, in the fact that while the media would like to divide us deep down, people want to be connected and united. So depending on the day, I change my mind about my optimism for the future of our planet. Um, I'm also changing my mind always about the future of book publishing, because I love book publishing and I've been at it for a long time. And, you know, we've got a million books will be published in North America this year, wow. which is 30 times as many as when I started. Wow. So, yeah, Indigo may stumble along the way, yeah. but there's still going to be more and more books. Yeah. On the other hand, the chances that an independent bookstore or even a thoughtful chain bookstore is going to have extraordinary results, I'm pretty pessimistic about that. Mm -hmm. So back and forth and back and forth. It's very noisy in my head. Yeah. I change my mind all the time. I was camping last week with my 16 year old and he brought books like physical books with him. And I remember I was like, I, I was like, yeah, man, I, I had a Kobo. And I was like, we got your Kobo. And he's like, no, I just love the books. And he was like, we went out in the kayak and he took the book with them. He's reading this and he liked, cause he's reading this book daily stoic, I think is what it's called. And, um, and he's able to write in it and think about yeah. it and chew on it. And I'm like, it's cool to see. I'm like, books are yeah. Still so right. vital. And exactly. Important. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of writers, I need to ask, how long did it take Sarah Kay to write B, her groundbreaking spoken word poem? Every one of Sarah's poems, and I was lucky enough to publish that book, every one of her poems takes at least four weeks, and some take six months. Wow. Now, I'm not saying in her spare time. Uh -huh. I'm saying 40 hours a week, workshopping it, writing it, talking about it, make a poem that you can do in whatever it was, eight minutes. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to diminish spoken word poetry, but it's an extraordinary art form. Hmm. That's amazing. 
Um, and business degrees. Yeah, I know we touched on education. Why are they so unattractive right now? What's going on with that? Oh, you mean like an MBA or yeah. an undergrad? Yeah, uh, either. Either one. Yeah. Okay. So an MBA mm -hmm. didn't used to matter until the Harvard class of 1952 or something like that. Right. And then after that, it became a finishing school for consultants mm. and uh, investment bankers as a way of signaling mm -hmm. to these high price jobs that you're willing to give up years of your life to get in the door. Yeah. But because it came with status, it started to spread. So now the vice president of whatever target needs an MBA. But in fact, you don't learn business at an MBA program. What you learn is how to be around other people who do business. Mm. It's a cultural thing. But people have discovered there's way faster, cheaper ways to do it than spending $200,000 to do that. Undergraduate business degrees, you know, we have a huge uh, schism in North America between people who have a four-year degree and people who don't because of the false proxy of hiring. A lot of really talented, energetic, focused people don't even get considered for jobs where it's not necessary to have a four-year degree, but it became sort of a chit you have to, to turn in. If you're going to go get a four-year degree, my experience is you should do two things. One, you should major in something that has absolutely nothing to do with what you want to do for a living because it will teach you to think and to change your mind. And number two, you should use the four years plus all the debt it's going to cost yeah. you to have four years and the free time you've got to start a business. Hmm. And it doesn't matter what it is. And you should start a lot of businesses. But, you know, when I was in college, uh, I majored in philosophy and computer science, and I co-founded with a couple other people the largest student-run business in the United States. Wow. And we had 40 divisions. I started a new division every week or so. My partner, Steve, kept the things running, and we did it for a year. And I got to tell you, I think about that experience still to this day, and I have no idea what was covered in economic class. <laughs> Zero. Because that's not what we need. We don't need you to be able to tell us what's in the book. Yeah. That's free. Yeah. What we need is for you to tell yourself a story that says, oh, I've solved a problem like that one before yeah. and go do it. And I think there's something about you're, you're 18, 19 and you can email anyone or call anyone and be like, hey, I'm in university. Can I ask you some questions? And I think most people, you know, they hard to reach, hard to get hold of, will say yes and, and come and guest speak because they want to do it. Yeah, so you're exactly a lot of doors can be open when you're that age. Um, Seth, a real pleasure to have you on the show. Um, really, really great to have you here. I am excited to um, hear about people going into their local Indigo, their local local bookstore, their local independent store. There's some great ones here in Canada. Victoria, Vancouver has a couple. Toronto, I know of, uh, and finding the Song of Significance, uh, a new manifesto for teams. Well, thanks for doing this. I know how hard it is, and I appreciate you showing up as a regular. So no, thank you. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, and again, if you also have not picked up the practice and are stuck in any way, I, I can't recommend it enough. I've, I've purchased it for multiple friends and family, and just, yeah, so many great little nuggets in there that, again, quotable, digestible, and even just, you know, pick it up on the daily to just kind of, you know, you can actually we do the math. The exact, you might know the exact number. How many, there's a hundred, what is it? 200 little snippets in here in total. So you could do it like every year you could go through the 200. Yeah. Have a neat little exercise. Uh, well, thank you.
No, thanks for being here. Thanks everyone for joining right. us on this. Don't make a ruckus. Yeah, 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 exactly. Please do. Um, thanks for coming on this episode of Marketing News Canada, and we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.